Listen, those are the drums of liberty. Recently at a business conference, I asked an economist a question while on stage, an important question, and she got that question wrong. Let's talk about it on this Liberty Minute. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David and welcome back to the Liberty Minute. So yes, while I was in Atlanta, Georgia, several weeks ago, attending a business conference, we had a very smart, articulate economist speak to us about where the economy was at and where it might be going. She had many charts, many graphs, and I think for the most part, she knew her stuff. But at the end of her hour-long presentation, she asked our group of some 300 people, did we have any questions? And either their eyes were glazed over from just coming back from lunch and then listening to economic facts and statistics. (laughs) So it might not be the best scheduling effort, but nevertheless, we did have some questions as a group. And one of the questions was about the recent tech layoffs and would we see any chance of more technological layoffs or layoffs in the technological sector rather? And what did she think about the role of our artificial intelligence would play in the next five years in the tech space? And so as it is my custom at these events, I wanted to ask a question what I thought was a compelling question that could not be easily answered. In fact, it was a question that most economists get wrong. So she was not at fault at all, but I was just curious for her response. What would her response be? And the question was this, the American economy from 1946 to the year 2000 grew at an average rate of 3.9% of growth. Since the year 2020, the American economy has grown at an average rate of less than 1.9% growth of GDP, a virtual cut in half of our growth rate. Now that has happened across both sides of the political spectrum being in power. So how would an economist answer that question? And she gave the standard answer that most economists give. As economies mature, especially the American economy, which is the biggest in the world, our expectation should be realized downward towards marginal growth and not to exceed 3%. And then she said something interesting. She said, you brought the political divide up in how it influences GDP growth. And our research at this, we'll just say said firm, not going to name the firm because it really doesn't matter. Our economic firm has studied this question extensively, and we have dug into a lot of data. 
And our research shows that there is not a difference between who holds power and the rate of GDP growth. And she capped it off with a well-known quip from Warren Buffett, the investor, about making money. Now, Warren Buffett is, a, like I said, an investor with Berkshire Hathaway and who is known as the Oracle of Omaha and most likely, I believe he's the fourth or fifth richest person in the world by all counts. So with that, she gave the quip. She ended with the infamous Warren Buffett quote. And it goes like this, no matter who is in the White House, red or blue, there is always room to make green. And that is money. And with that, she concluded, and there was much applause, much fanfare. Now, our economist speaker didn't stick around, so there was no way that I could have a follow-up one-on-one talk with her after the speech. And plus, she was from Boston. So most likely, she was liberal, and she was pregnant, so I certainly wasn't going to press her very hard on her wrong answer. But let's be clear, it was a wrong answer. So let's ask the question again. The American economy from 1946 to the year 2000 grew at an average rate of 3.9% growth. Since the year 2000, the American economy has grown at an average rate of less than 1.9% growth of GDP. It's a virtual cut in half of the growth rate. Now that happened across both sides of the political spectrum, Democrat and Republican administrations being in power. How would an economist answer that question? And the correct answer is the only thing that has changed across both political parties having power in Congress and in the White House has been the growth of total government. There has been a steady increase in government owning part of the GDP, gross domestic product, that has seen an upward rise since the post-World War II era. And it frankly has exploded since the year 2000. In fact, if you see a graph, you will see an almost straight line upward in the growth of the government sector. Now, in her defense, most economists dodge this very well-known fact. So to my economist friend, I would also recommend to you a great Warren Buffett quote as well. And it goes like this, read and think. Most people in American business don't do this anymore. Read 500 pages a day. That's what I do and spend time thinking. So in keeping with the Warren Buffett admonishment to read and think, we will read and think about this very answer on how the steady increase in government has begun to crowd out the American economy and has become a millstone around our collective economic neck. And we will do so, in fact, with a great economist, Stephen Moore. And so we will put our Boston economist up against a very well-known economist, economist versus economist. And so with that, let us turn to Stephen Moore's fantastic book, Govzilla, 
how the relentless growth of government is devouring our economy and our freedom. And talk about the elephant in the room, which is the explosion of the growth of government at all sectors, federal, state, and local. And with that, let's go to our first pull quote, because we have to cover some history and some context. This collapse of what I call a our fiscal constitution did not happen overnight. The dam was first broken during the New Deal era of the 1930s under FDR, gained renewed momentum in the 1960s and Lyndon Johnson's Great Society War on Poverty, expanded still faster in the 1970s under Presidents Nixon, Ford, and Carter. It was Nixon who declared in the 1970s, we are all Keynesians now, and accelerated still further under Presidents Obama and Trump in their stimulus plans, using government spending as a recharging station for the economy, with no regard to the financial implications of what they were doing. Ronald Reagan interrupted the stampede of government and the economy soared with the supply-side tax reductions, deregulations, and timeout on domestic government spending. And we also saw progress under Democratic President Bill Clinton and the Republican Congress, led by then-Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich. Under Clinton, government spending fell from 22% to 18% of GDP, and lo, the economy and stock market soared. But the pendulum has swung back in the 21st century. It was George W. Bush who agreed to massive bailouts of failed banks, insurance companies, financial institutions, and auto companies. Obama then took over and suggested $800 billion in stimulus funding that stimulated nothing but more government. Then under Joe Biden, as progressives have taken hold of our Congress and White House, we have a president who has declared that more government spending will solve every ill of our country. From poverty to climate change to inequality to homelessness, stagnant wages and government, global poverty. Families are now eligible for up to $100,000 in government benefits today without anyone working a single hour. Millions more Americans will become entirely dependent on government for their sustenance. Some call the $6 trillion Biden wants as the great reset of the U.S. economy, away from free enterprise and a lurch toward a welfare state and a command-control economy. But none dare it call it. Not but none dare call it socialism. Yet socialism indeed is what we are staring and beginning to live through. What we're staring at and beginning to live through. The percentage of government spending of our GDP is is increasing higher and higher, and frankly has begun to crowd out the private sector and take it over. It's suffocating our economy. In fact, when the COVID-19 pandemic happened, the radical left came up with this weird and invented out of whole cloth theory, this weird economic theory called modern monetary theory, MMT. Now, this is just a radical, radical idea. I mean, bizarre world stuff. Listen to this. Let's go back to the book because more covers it in detail. 
The idea that the United States government could spend, borrow, tax, print money, regulate to almost no end is hard to imagine. The politicians also seized the extraordinary power to almost entirely shut down the engines of the economy, as happened in many blue democratic states in the 20, in 2020. Modern monetary theory, MMT enthusiast said that as long as America remained the global economic superpower and as long as the dollar retained its status as the global reserve currency, we had nothing to worry about from Rocky Mountain high levels of debt. It was practically all free. It was also fool's gold. What is the old life lesson? If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Bills, after all, have to be paid. Debts have to be repaid. If not, we could all run up our credit cards with no regard to how we would pay them back. Borrowing against your assets cannot go on forever, or you will lose everything. Can a nation like the United States go bankrupt? Biden seems hell-bent on finding out. Yes, Biden does seem hell-bent on finding out because this is this is tooth fairy economic wishful thinking in Washington. I mean, it's just not real. Those folks live in a fairy tale world with no critical thinking skills. But this is what passes now for sound economics these days. It's terrible. They're just not serious people there. In fact, that's the only conclusion I can, can, can come up with. We just need new leadership badly. After the 2020 election, they said the adults would be in charge and no more mean tweets. I mean, and then we get this rubbish thinking. Let's go back to the book to hear some more sober facts. This book is in part a history lesson. I present data from as far back as the birth of our nation in the late 18th century and throughout nearly 250 years since. The historical data is instructive because it demonstrates how lean and efficient our government was in the early days of the Republic. Unless otherwise indicated, all of the data are adjusted for inflation. Even still, the borrowing and spending envisioned is more than all of our wars, pandemics, natural disasters, economic depressions our nation has faced combined. Some sober findings are is this. Well, in fact, let's just let's stop real quick. Let's think about that. The borrowing and spending envisioned is more than all of the world's wars, pandemics, natural disasters, economic depressions our nation has faced combined. I mean, we fought a revolution to free ourselves from the tyranny of a very oppressive English monarch. Then we fought a civil war to end slavery and make a more perfect union. Then we battled against a 100-year-old pandemic in the 1919 flu. We fought two. Well, we at least fought World Wars I, which frankly set Europe ablaze. 
and it was to be the war that ended all wars. Then we had a Great Depression for some 10 years in the 1930s, which when we thought government could bail us all out and help make things better, got to reevaluate that now. The history is coming out that that really wasn't the case and government made it worse. They sustained the depression, but we'll cover that later in another Liberty Minute. Then we had to fight global tyranny as Hitler's Nazis and Tojo's Japanese imperial dreams were taking over the whole world. I mean, holy smokes. Then we had Vietnam for over 10 years. And the expense of that in terms of lives lost and treasury expended was just horrific. But all of that has been eclipsed in just 20 years of spending by both political parties. And I repeat, both political parties are guilty. Washington, D.C. is spending money and growing government like drunken sailors. And they just are drinking year after year after year. So let's go back to the book for these sober findings. Federal spending will eclipse 50% of GDP. The national debt will exceed 100 trillion. The national debt will rise to some 300% of our GDP. Tax rates will have to rise to 50% on all economic activity on all Americans to pay off this debt. The average child born today will, by adulthood, have more than $500,000 share of the national debt that they will be responsible for paying off. And here's the, here's the backbreaker. Interest payments will consume one quarter to one-third of all federal spending. That is only at most 75 cents of every tax dollar will pay for government services. The other 25 cents will go towards paying off the debt from previous generations. That is backbreaking. I mean, that's debilitating. That's, that is soul-crushing. But those are the stone-cold facts. Let's end on what I believe is a happy note to help us learn this lesson. This economic philosophy of government everlasting and almighty has been tried multiple times by great empires throughout history. It always ends unhappily and even with catastrophic ending. There's an old joke about a man whose home is underwater from Hurricane flooding. On the first day, a trooper comes in a squad car to assist him out of his home to safe land. He stands there in the front door with the water up to his belt buckle and says, I don't need your help. The Lord will save me. Two days later, the rains keep coming, and now the whole first floor of his home is flooded. The troopers come back in a boat and tell him, hop in, and they will take him to safety. He leans out the second floor window and shouts, Go away. The Lord will save me. Sure enough, two days later, the water is so high that the old man is forced to sit on the roof of his home. The Coast Guard brings a helicopter which hovers over his home that is near to being swept away by the rising tides of water. They lower a rope and tell him, grab it and come aboard. 
he snuffs and says, I keep telling you that I don't need your help because the Lord will save me. They shake their heads in disbelief and fly away. That night, the tide is so strong, the poor gentleman is swept away in a swirl of flood water, and he drowns. When he gets to heaven, he approaches the Lord, and he is dismayed. Lord, I trusted you to save me, and you didn't. The Lord shakes his head in wonder and looks down on him and says, My son, I sent a squad car, then a boat, then a helicopter. Let us not make that mistake. Let's rescue our country from a food and flood of debt, of taxes, of government spending that will be our undoing. And let us hope that the old adage is true, that Americans always manage to get it right after we have tried every other alternative. And so in today's Liberty Minute, Ronald Reagan had the best perspective on the growth of government, and he didn't need an economist to tell him that an ever-increasing government is a bad thing. In fact, he said this, a government that is big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take away everything you got. (laughs) That sounds like old Midwestern sound advice to me. Spoken like someone who grew up in the Midwest in the 1920s and 30s with sound values and a sound perspective on life. In fact, next week we will have another Liberty Minute where we will study how a great leader in the early 21st century has proven against all naysayers and again against bad economists on how to grow an economy. It's a fascinating lesson and practical economics. And I will give you a little tease now. The bedrock foundation of this economic philosophy is supply-side economics. It's incredible. It's just a fascinating story. Can't wait to share it. But for now, let us follow Stephen Moore's advice in this book. And like he said, Americans always manage to get it right after we try every other alternative. Let's pray that alternative comes swiftly and quickly and we have real leadership on this issue in American government over the next coming five to ten years. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com where we have everything we discussed in this podcast as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF 
format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book, packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually six to nine pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.